I sang this song one time, and, and I told the congregation, I said, you know, when you get married, you're kind of stuck with your partner, especially if you believe in until death do we part. No matter what their faults may be, no matter if I snore real loud at night and, you know, I don't, I'm not so easy to get along with on some of those PMS days, you know. But Bill is just kind of stuck with me because he said from death do us part, you know. But, you know, God knew me when he picked me. He knew my faults. He knew my shortcomings. And yet he went to the cross and he died for me anyway. So this song, it says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes. I often slip. Just common flesh and bone. But I'll prove someday just why I say I'm of a special kind. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The look of love was on his face. Thorns were on his head. Blood was on that scarlet robe and stained it crimson red. Though his eyes were on the crowd that day, he looked ahead in time. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heaven shine. So onward. 
as always. Thank you very much. That's one of my favorite songs. Of course, yes, I know I say that about almost every song. So, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Well, if you have your Bible or someone opens a Bible, open it to John chapter 9, verse 5 through 34. As we sit around the lunch table this afternoon, as we do, we try to do most Sundays, we talk about Sunday school lessons. And I must make an, an admission to you, I don't always get a chance to look at what we are, are studying in the Sunday school classes. Um, I generally don't get a chance to go to Sunday school, um, but um, as we sat around talking about the Sunday school lesson, my wife pointed out how it sure seemed to complement where or go along with what the Lord led us to be in this morning, in the morning service, about spiritual blindness uh, and how, there's a bug crawl on me, uh, how, um, you know, our closeness to the Lord will cause us to see or not see things in the life, uh, in our life. And I just want you to know, tonight, as we look at this story about the man healed from blindness and the underlying message of while he was physically blind, the Pharisees were spiritually blind. I didn't plan any of this. Uh, it's just kind of the way it worked out. And so I'm thinking, the Lord must want us to think about being spiritually blind for a little bit, uh, at least for one Sunday. He sure seems to be emphasizing it uh, from uh, what I understand. The Sunday school lessons sure seem to be about this morning. Um, and then also what the sermon of this morning, and then tonight as well. Well, we set the stage last week for this miracle. We didn't get to actually talk about the miracle. We led up to this point by discussing the fact that this blind man had been born blind for one reason, and it wasn't because he had sin or his parents had sin. Jesus said it, was, it happened so that the works of God can be revealed in him. We talked about how that that was all about God's glory. What essentially Jesus was saying is this man was born blind so God could be glorified through him. Not only his blindness, but ultimately his healing. And so really this, this message focuses on God's glory. And uh, the hilarity of some of the things that we're going to look at in the scripture is the fact that even through it all, Jesus will always get the glory. We looked at the fact that God is able to reveal himself in any situation in our life. Good, bad, terrible, horrible, no matter what it is. Jesus and God, they are all about bringing themselves glory. Because when they are glorified, men and women are drawn to them for salvation. This week though, I want to make this statement and really explore it through this text. God's glory can often look strange to our human eyes. We will look at a situation and say, well, God can't get glory from that. And God says, yes, I can. Because there are three scene, or a few scenes in this story in which God gets the glory. And in each scene, I just find it very humorous. The interactions between all of them, just some of the, um, the, kind of the funny thoughts underneath what's going on. I, I've already shared with you how patient Jesus must have been with these Pharisees and these religious leaders and just their willful unbelief and their willful wanting to disprove him all the time and how I, if I was Jesus, I would have already sent the lightning and just gotten rid of these guys. But 
here we see that gracious side of God. Uh, nevertheless, even though they are constantly causing problems to his teaching, God still gets the glory. And so this first scene in this scripture that we're going to look at in John chapter 9 starts in verse 6. I want to read just a scene at a time, if you will. And uh, let's start at verse 5, though. I, I thought verse 6, but let's start at verse 5, John chapter 9. We'll read through verse 12. Uh, Jesus finishes up his teaching. and says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We discussed that last week. Then he goes on and says, it says, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But the man said, I am he. <laughs> Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. So here is scene one. It's the same scene we were looking at last week where the focus is on this man who is blind. And the conversation is now over uh, about why he is blind, it's finished, and now is the time for the healing in this story. And we remember, must remember, this is God. Jesus is God. He can heal any way He wants to heal. He can heal any time He wants to heal. This is the same Jesus who spoke to a tombstone and Lazarus came walking out. The same Jesus who looked at a lame man and uh, laying on a mat and said, your faith has made you well. Get up and carry your mat and keep going. He could have spoke the man's eyesight back into existence. But instead, I find some humor in this. The first thing it says is that he spat. He spit. Literally, he spits. I don't know if it offends you to imagine our Lord and Savior pardon me, hawking up a loogie and spitting it into the dirt. I don't mean to offend you because, frankly, when I imagine that, it kind of offends me, right? Nevertheless, this is what the Word says. He is Jesus, and He spits into the ground. And maybe, I don't know why it happens, but maybe, if nothing else, the purpose of this is to remind us that Jesus was not a hoity-toity religious type of God. He was what we would call a man's man. He was a carpenter by trade. He was a man by birth. When people were messing up his dad's house, he didn't start a focus group and have a soft conversation about their feelings and why they were doing that. No, he made a bullwhip, turned over tables, and drove those suckers out of dad's house. He was a man's man, so he spits into the clay. It says next that he makes clay. That's a nice way of saying that Jesus was making mud. 
This was not a miracle of turning spit into clay. He was sitting there. I don't know if he had a stick or he was using his finger. But after he spits into the ground, he is mixing this up and making a clay-type mud mixture. I don't know if you remember when you were a child making mud pies. I certainly went out and had a good time making mud pies and remember doing that with friends. And, and really, it wasn't about the mud pies as much as it was making artillery to throw at my friends. Anybody do that? Right? And then eventually we would just begin smearing it all over each other. And then my mother would come out and, Stop playing in the mud. You're going to get worms. You're a bunch of pigs. Something like that. So essentially, Jesus is smearing mud all over this blind man's eyes. And essentially, he is making mud pies. Why would he do this? Why is he spitting and making mud or clay? Well, my first thought, and I literally thought this, maybe he just wanted to be funny. I, I really believe God has a sense of humor. There's too many situations that I have gone through in life where I just thought, God, were you needing some comedic relief? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think God is humored by me necessarily, but I, I think he's, I don't know, sometimes I think he's just having a little fun. I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. None of the commentaries backed up that thought, so I'll just wipe that one aside. So maybe the next thing was to make a connection with man's roots. You know, we were formed out of dirt. We were formed out of dust. That's what the Bible says. And it's out of dust that Jesus is making this clay. Uh, some commentaries even said that Jesus may have been crafting two new eyeballs out of that clay. Hey, he's God. He could have been doing that. I don't know. A third reason that I thought up was maybe he was just trying to rile the religious leaders up. Here's why I say that. As you will read through this scripture, you'll find out what's happening is happening on the Sabbath day. Jesus is healing this man on the Sabbath day. Now that's bad enough. But in the Jewish heritage or, or, or in the culture, just like today, did you know mud was seen as a medicinal use sort of product? Even now, you go to a spa somewhere and uh, you can pay a lot of money to have some hoity-toity person smear mud all over your face, right? Get a mud treatment. That's a real thing, isn't it? It's just, you know, stinky old mud. They're, they're making mud pies and smearing it all over you. Well, anyway, it essentially what's going on here is Jesus, this is not a, not a joke, he is making medicine when he makes this clay. It, it could have been seen that way. He is a pharmacist if you will, on the Sabbath. And what this is, no joke, is a violation of their interpretation of the Sabbath law. So that's kind of the one I lean towards. I think Jesus was getting an opportunity to pick a fight. He, he wanted to, to maybe raise the hairs on the Pharisees, not because Jesus was, was interested in making people mad, but he needed to point out the problems with the legalism and the Pharisees' religion, the teaching about the Sabbath, and, and how they were holding this over the people's head. The Sabbath was not created for that purpose. The Sabbath was created for man to have rest. Well, the next thing he does in this healing, the Bible says, is he anoints. It says he anointed the man's eyes with clay, which essentially means he smeared the mud on his eyes. But the important point of this is that Jesus does this himself. 
in the Old Testament healings, often what would happen, or the miracles, the prophets, the men of God, when they would work these miracles, they would have some sort of tool, some sort of, of item, some, some cloak or, or, a, or a, um, a staff or, or something else, and that would show a separation between them and the power that was being used to work that miracle. But see, when Jesus does this, He doesn't need a prop, for lack of a better word. He doesn't need a staff. He doesn't need a cloak. He is using His own hands to bring the healing on this man. So how does God get the glory in this miraculous healing where Jesus spits, makes clay, and anoints the man's eyes with His own hands? Well, this man had obviously known a miracle occurred and who the enactor of that miracle was. When the people began asking about Him in verse 8, which in and of itself is really kind of a funny scene. You know, they're sitting there arguing. Well, is this the man? No, it's not the man. It just looks like the man. And he's in the back corner going, hey, no, 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 it's me. It really is. I was the guy born blind. Nevertheless, when they question him on this healing, his first response is verse 11, a man called Jesus. So the glory doesn't go to the mud, the glory doesn't go to the spit, the glory doesn't go to the pool of Siloam where he washed the mud out of his eyes. The glory goes to Jesus. God gets the glory in this healing. Well, then we go to this next scene. God gets a little more glory. After Jesus heals the man and the man testifies about who healed him, the people say, well, it says the people took the man to see the Pharisees starting in verse 13, uh, so that they could proclaim him healed and whole. And uh, this is the first of two moments where the man is questioned by these religious leaders. Uh, Let's read verses 13 through 17 now. It says, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. We talked about that. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. So in this first scene, verses 13 through 17, or this, I'm sorry, the second scene, the Pharisees question the man on two matters. How did you receive your sight? Verse 16, it says, he put clay on my eyes and I washed it off. Glory there is still going to Jesus Christ. Then the second question, verse 17, who do you say this man is? Essentially is what they're asking him. Because they're arguing amongst themselves. What kind of man is this that heals on the Sabbath and does all this? And this man's response in verse 17 is, he is a prophet. Now, Jesus Christ is much more than a prophet. We know that now. But this man has just received some sight, both physical and spiritual. So for him to grasp hold of the fact that Jesus is more than just a special teacher, he's more than just a man. There's something about this guy. The eyes are beginning to open. That's a little more glory for God right there. They're arguing over who Jesus is. And this man just blurts it right out. Oh, he ain't just man. He is a prophet. There is something about this guy. You know, as you begin to come into your understanding of who Jesus was, 
can I, can I assume that none of you understand Jesus today how you understood him 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? Our understanding develops. Well, this man is just beginning to understand exactly who Jesus is. So we can understand that. This is your basic interview questions that they're going through. What happens is, is they get so caught up in the minute details of really nothing, they forget that they are investigating a genuine, bona fide miracle. Instead, they begin this argument amongst themselves over a false standard in verse 16, where they say, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? This only adds to the hilarity of this moment, for Moses and Elijah were two big-time prophets of the Old Testament. They considered to be fathers of their faith. They worked wonderful miracles and signs. They were both big-time sinners. Moses was such a big-time sinner, he couldn't even get into the promised land. He had to die up on Mount Moriah and see it from a, a mountain view. So, where is the standard coming from? Remember me saying that sometimes people just don't believe because they don't want to believe. That's what's going on here. And so, then another question arises. Was this man really born blind? And to find the answer, they go to the parents. Scene three. Before we go there, though, how does God get the glory? Well, even in this first discussion between the man and the Pharisees, God still gets the glory because they are discussing and fighting over the issue of who Jesus is. And because there is division, I believe there must have been some of those religious leaders who are starting, maybe, to believe in who Jesus is. And do you remember when Jesus was talking to some of his disciples and some people who were listening? He said something really interesting about the household. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I brought the sword. I brought to bring division in the house. And when I see this house of Pharisees divided over who Jesus is, I start thinking, maybe this was Jesus' purpose. He's starting to cause a split in this legalistic, false religion, false standard, all of this going on in their life. You know, when people start questioning the, the standard of belief and start saying, you know, God has got something going on here, man, he's getting some glory in that even. So then we go to this next scene. This next scene is a discussion with the parents. They don't believe that this man was by, uh, born blind. So in come the parents, starting in verse 18. It says, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and that he had received sight until they called the parents of him who had received a sight. Verse 19, and they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is your son and that he was born blind. But by, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. I almost want to insert there, hey, he was blind, not mute, right? Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. 
So in come the parents, and according to the Scripture, the parents were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of being excommunicated from the synagogue, from the, the spiritual leaders, because word had got around that anyone who confessed Jesus as the Christ. Now, mind you, this isn't confessing Jesus as a prophet. This isn't confessing Jesus as a good teacher. This is confessing Jesus as the Christ. Do you realize that the Pharisees understand who Jesus is saying who he is? Do you also understand the Pharisees probably see Jesus lining up with their understanding of the prophecies? Willful unbelief. Willful disbelief. Willful disobedience. And so they have this fear going on that anybody who confesses Jesus as the Christ would be excommunicated. And so the Pharisees asked them about the man's blindness, which they confirmed, but they are unwilling to say anything about a healing. And once again, does God get glory in this situation? Absolutely. Is because their fear actually could have caused them to say, uh, no, he wasn't born blind. He's always been able to see. Maybe to curry favor with the Pharisees, they could have said, he's lying. He's always seen. He was not born blind at all. Or maybe he could have even said, he's not our son. We've never seen this young man at all in our life. But even in their fear, they tell the truth, and in that, the miracle of Jesus Christ is all the more proclaimed. Yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. He can now see, and we have no idea how he can see. What's he saying? That's the one you need to ask. We're not going to make up an excuse. Why don't you just ask him? So then you get to the next scene. This is the final scene of this scripture. And it's the, old, I mean, it's the blind man with the Pharisees again, starting in verse uh, 24. And it brings us to this last confrontation, and it's really going to become a confrontation here. Verse 24, it says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, that's the blind man, and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Verse 24 cracks me up. Give God the glory. That's all this guy's been doing. That's all he has been doing. They say, give God the glory. God's glory is all over the place. But the blind man gives God some more glory and gives us one of our favorite lines in all of Christendom, isn't it? Though I was blind, now I see. How many of us have used that in our own life to describe 
that passing from spiritual blindness that when we were lost to passing into salvation. We can now see because of Christ removing the scales of sin from our spiritual eyes. Though I was blind, now I see. Give God the glory? Okay, I'll give God the glory. And then we move on and they ask again, how did he heal you? This man doesn't give them the straight-up answer this time. He set it up. They've heard it. So instead, he uses sarcasm. (laughs) Sarcasm. Yes, I I think God uses sarcasm with us as well sometimes. He's certainly using it here, or at least allowing this man to use it to offend these Pharisees, to get them a little bit riled up. And then their defense against his sarcasm is to attack him. And they call him, you are his disciples, we are Moses' disciples. We know who we follow, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. And then this blind man sees clearly. And this is where I start seeing his spiritual eyesight to really develop. It's like the Lord is beginning to infiltrate his heart with some truth. I love this scene. Here is the blind man teaching the teachers. They even call him on it. They don't realize that that is exactly what he is doing. You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? He is. He is teaching them. Starting in verse 30, he is teaching them. He says, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. You know, the men that are questioning the miracle and the miracle worker, what right do they have to question if they know nothing about the man who worked the miracle at all? And then in verse 31, he does some more teaching. He says, now we know that God does not hear sinners. And I want to pause real quick there and let you know, he isn't saying that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers or that God doesn't hear the prayers of people who have sinned. What he is saying here is in regards to these deep, awesome acts of God, God doesn't hear you. You want to move mountains? What does it say? You got to have the faith of a mustard seed. Okay? And so this isn't necessarily saying God doesn't hear you if you're a sinner. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And in verse 32, boy, that teaching gets a little bit better. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Now, I didn't have time to research that statement. That's a pretty bold statement. I, I don't know for sure. I know where there was some blindness healed in the Old Testament, but it may have been that those healings were not people born blind. So this is quite a statement. Jesus has just done the first of this kind of a miracle. Someone who was born blind now can see. Then verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I mean, who can disagree with that? In regards to spiritual acts, in regards to miracles, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You can say this man has received faith in physical and spiritual sight where the Pharisees are still blinded. Well, what happens in this scene is it ends by he gets excommunicated. It says that he is cast out. Some of your versions of the Bible might subtitle this section as that he is excommunicated. And all the commentaries that I was reading in preparation for this, they all agreed with this one thing. 
as far as we can tell, this is the first man who was ever kicked out of the synagogue because he decided to follow Jesus instead of the Jewish law. The first one ever. Persecution right here for faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how does God get the glory in this? Before I tell you that, can I tell you the underlying theme of the scripture is unbelief. The Pharisees, for the most part, they refuse to believe. John MacArthur calls this willful belief. I've called this willful belief. Essentially, they knew better, but they just choose their own will over the Lord's. And what we see here is spiritual blindness. I told you I didn't mean for this to interweave with this morning's message, but it, it's exactly what it does. They are blinded by their own lust for power and prestige. We've talked about that the weeks leading up to tonight, of how part of their problem is they saw their power being threatened by this new leader. They saw their crowds trickling lower and lower and following this Jesus guy. They were also blinded by their own selfishness and their own pride. And they were also blinded by their own legalistic and false standards. They were blinded by their own unbelief. So how does God get the glory? Well, He gets it because God always gets the glory, even in unbelief. You see, God doesn't have to have believers to get glory. That's a strange statement I know to make. But always remember Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Remember how he said, you know, Moses said, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let your people go. Remember what God said about Pharaoh? Let me just, you, you write this scripture down and remember what God said about Pharaoh. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Even in the midst of Pharaoh's hardened heart, God gets the glory. Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let your people go. But in the end, Pharaoh not only let them go, but he paid them to go. You read about that in Exodus, how the Egyptians were paying the Israelites to leave. And even in that, God gets the glory. God always gets the glory, no matter what. So the question is, is which side of his glory will we be on? The side of belief or the side of unbelief? I tell you, I want to glorify God with my belief and not my unbelief. One final point, rejecting Jesus is never a matter of mental understanding. It's never a matter of mental understanding, but of moral fallibility. What I mean is, throughout these scriptures, what we see is, it's not that they didn't understand. They chose to not believe. Listen, if you've got a brother or sister or some other family member or some sweet friend and you know they just have not believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it probably isn't because they don't understand. It's probably because they just don't want to. I, I was witnessing some, somebody, it's been a few months ago, and they literally made this statement, I'm just not ready to stop having fun. 
That's moral fallibility. The saddness uh, of the world that we see is that they are sliding further into unbelief. God's going to get the glory no matter what. Gosh, I sure want them to be glorifying God in their belief and having that opportunity to say the same thing the blind man said. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, so much for spiritual eyesight. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've moved us into a place where we are glorifying you with our belief. God, would you give us a heavy heart tonight for those who are unbelieving and understanding that we're going to get the glory no matter what. Lord, would you give us a burden to reach them for your name, reach them for salvation. Lord, would you give us a burden to pray about their moral decision to not believe. Father, we thank you, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you again for rescuing us, giving us spiritual eyesight. It's in your name I pray. Amen.